That's about all we're going to get out of Steph, I think. Yeah, well, one good thing about losing your voice is you do start being able to do excellent The Grudge impersonations. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's there's a few ways your voice can go. You either become The Grudge, or you become, like, the sexy, sultry voice of someone who's smoked for about 15 years and has just got a little rasp on. There's a few ways it can go. Yeah, yeah, I, uh... I've lost my voice before. We've done this show long enough, and I'm ill often oh, yeah. enough that I've done this show before with with a barely there voice. Uh, this weekend was the first time I had no voice whatsoever. Um, <laughs> like I genuinely, I could not. I've never lost my voice that much, where I could not make sounds. Um, I've been really fucking annoyed about it as well because I, uh, well, it was made quite clear on the Jimquisition. Um, that I'm in the dating pool, uh, as comments delight delightedly <laughs> pointed out. We left that in because I thought it was quite funny that little notification in the uh, <laughs> yeah. in the footage of Silent Hill Ascension again. We will get to, um, but I got an offer the other night from a guy I have described as I could only describe as soap opera hot, like soap opera <laughs> hot. He had a hotel room, and. A bunch of drugs. Hot, soap opera hot, bunch of drugs. And I had just fallen ill that night and could do nothing (laughs) about it. And I have been fucking livid for days since. The universe really has been putting you in a few situations recently of like, good opportunity for sexy. Nope, too ill. When it comes to sexy, that's my... That's my track record. I have been in many situations where stuff was on the cards and bad timing or illness or both screwed me out of getting me screwed. And this is just one in a long line. There was one time I went to visit a friend in Portland um, with sexy times on the cards, got pneumonia and spent the entire trip shivering on a, a mattress on the floor like I was like coming cold turkey off heroin. And that was my sexy weekend. Um, I've, I've had several instances lately where it's been like stuff's on the cards, stuff's about to happen, stuff's going well, then something, some comedy of errors or usually just errors uh has has gotten in the way and that was it was the sweetest fucking plum the other like this weekend i can't when i say soap opera heart i really do mean like television heart with a big bag of weed yeah i stayed in and played alan wake too that was not a good trade-off, Conrad, Laura. Not a good trade-off. You went back to it. I, I don't know. I've finished it. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, okay. I think that sounds like a good night. That's a good, uh, it's a good trade-off from my point of view. I, I'm into it. That's all right for you. You know where to get drugs, where, where you are. That's true. <laughs> the, the one guy I know of who does them here yeah. is a literal human trafficker and nobody fucks with him. I ain't going, I'm not going over there for that. 
I've got to wait for hot boys to message me <laughs> and then be too sick to go and, and score in either sense of the word. I, it's all right for you with your, with your availability of drugs and your liking Alan Wake too. Lucky bastard. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I got quite ill this weekend. I, um, I'm better now, but I am very wheezy. Uh, the asthma, like, really didn't care for it. So apologies to the listeners if I'm sort of wheezy, spluttery. Um, I have finished Alan Wake 2. Uh, yeah. I got... I liked it no better. I I only got less angry with it. I've... I'm partway okay. through writing my review of it. Fingers crossed it'll be up before this podcast, but I don't know. Um, but it will be up very mm. soon. Having played it to its conclusion... I just don't like it. I, I, I'm no longer yeah. as furious as I was. Although there are still mm. elements that I find fucking infuriating. A lot of it to do with the mind place and the sort of railroading and forth. I, we had them, um, we were visited by the Stupendium yeah. this uh, past weekend as well, right? And yeah. they had the same thing. The fucking solved a puzzle. And it was a different one to me and you, Conrad. Different mm-hmm. puzzle. Mm-hmm. Solved the puzzle. Didn't. Couldn't work out why the puzzle wasn't, like, finishing. And it's because even though we solved it, Saga fucking Anderson, the FBI fucking agent, hadn't needed us to tell her. I think that that is... And and now, I can understand being frustrated with that element. I think that that represents such a narrative consistency in the story. Because it's her story. If she doesn't know something, then it's not relevant. And I, I I completely get that being frustrating from a, a video game, I'm solving the puzzle, I know what I need to oh, do, yeah, why yeah. can't I do it perspective. But the narrative consistency is something I really respect. If it's her story, she can play it her fucking self. <laughs> That's so, where I'm at with it. I will just so, quickly say, I fully agree with the fact that this game is nailing what it wants to do, uh, is a complete success, and I do not mean that as praise. That's what I will say there. I haven't finished it yet. Which is why I'm still dancing around shit. (laughs) Yeah, I apologise for that. I have had a whole bunch of, like, going to travel to do weird shit this week that has gotten in the way of me finishing Alan Wake 2. Uh, but I'm, I'm like, a decent chunk of the way in. Um, Conrad, you were around for a good chunk of me streaming this Friday last week. Oh, yeah, I've been watching um, most of your streaming of it. Yeah, and I'll say this. The, uh, is it fair to say... I, I, I get the feeling I am I am pretty correct about a lot of the assumptions I have been making toward the end of that Friday stream. Y- you seem to be on the, like... I was proving a point by having worked some things out. I mean, yeah, you are proving that point. And I, uh, but it's also like yeah. you are also so close, but not quite there that the mystery will still be satisfying. And that's what I think is, is really interesting about watching other people play it. So here's the thing. I, I, am, I would hazard to say maybe two thirds of the way through this. And I think I'm ultimately going to fall a lot more on Conrad's side of this discussion. Steph, I 1000% understand 
every complaint you have about this game, and I think they are valid. And I think that the way I, I, I'm feeling about this game is... I, I keep coming back to a phrase, and it's not quite right, but it's that, like, I am loving this kind of bad game. Because I think there are some things about it that are uh, objectively could have been done a lot better and are going to turn a lot of people off of this game. I keep thinking it in terms of comparisons to something like Twin Peaks, in as much as Twin Peaks, the TV show, is a very hard sell because it makes some decisions about its pacing that are a hurdle that needs overcoming, and I wouldn't blame anyone who doesn't stick with it. And I think I feel similarly about Alan Wake too. There are points in this, particularly that fucking necklace early on, which I, I don't hate now, but at the time there was a good 15 minutes where I actively hated this game after that moment. And the further I've gotten into this, there was a point maybe seven to nine hours in where this game started to really click for me, and a lot of things fell into place, one after another after another, and I felt like it was paying off the groundwork it had set in ways that were satisfying, where I was able to put enough pieces in place to understand where it was going, and to be just off enough that it still was surprising me. I'm glad there's less combat in it, the combat is never a thing I, I get excited about when it's in it in this. And there's been a couple of moments where a puzzle I just sort of bashed my head against until I got past, or I thought I'd soft-locked myself for a bit, and little things where I'm like, this this game objectively has a lot of problems that I think uh, are very fair reasons to, wa- to to not want to engage with it. It has a lot of very little problems. They're minor, but they can seem big to anybody, um, is yeah. sort of the way I look at it. Uh, the combat, that's another one of those things that sometimes I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing here in this game? Hmm. Yeah. In the dark place, there are a lot of shadows just sort of lingering around that you know are in your path, and you're supposed to either avoid them or dispatch them in order to progress to the yeah. next place you need to go. And they often add nothing. <laughs> yeah, they, they, well, they add nothing for the most part, and the game, in the game text, tells you mm. to you know, avoid focusing your light on them for too long, or they will get aggressive. This is factually untrue. <laughs> yeah, because you were around for a point where I ran out of battery in a segment where I couldn't find any replacements, and I needed to shine a torch on a thing to progress. And Conrad pointed out that I can just, without having like battery charges to use, I can just hold my regular torch pointed at an enemy, like those those sort of wispy shadows, and they'll just fizzle away with no consequence. A thing I did not know I could do. Despite the fact that the game explicitly tells you not to do this thing. Yeah, yeah, I missed that notification telling me not to do it. So I just thought that's what you have to do to differentiate the fake outs from the actual enemies. You just hold the torch on them till they either dissipate or attack. I mean, that is true. I was using the battery on every single one until I was told I didn't have to and that changed things. Like... There is a lot of problems I have with this game, but, Conrad, you were very right when you talk about this being a detective story. Yeah. 
the the moments where I am finding this game really rewarding are the moments where it is achieving that pacing of a really good detective story where I work out a thing about 30 seconds before it's revealed mm-hmm. and I get just enough time to go, oh, I put the pieces together on my own and then the shoe drops to confirm so I can go, I was right. Yep. And it's 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 hitting a real streak of those that is strong enough that I am willing to put aside the fact that no, I don't enjoy always putting every single pointless piece of information on the little note board, and that the game doesn't make it terribly clear that there is... Uh, one complaint I had last week was that there was no way to go to the map without going to the Mine Palace and walking over and so looking at the map. So many people have been helpful in this regard. <laughs> okay, people have, some people have been helpful in this regard, and some people have been fucking annoying yes, in this well, regard. Yeah. There have been some people who've like really over-exaggerated how much I missed that. Uh, and that, like, I must be an idiot for having missed it. Uh, there's one person who had a bug where every single time they opened the Mind Palace, it gave them a prompt telling them you can just go straight to the map. I thought they were being very passive-aggressive at me like, when they told me, oh, it comes up every single time, how have you missed it? No, the like, tooltips oh, are really... fucked. That's what it is. The yeah, tool no, the tooltips tool, are fucked. The tooltips are fucked. Yeah, no, I ran into a <laughs> similar situation. I never saw the map up prompt. I'm convinced. I don't I don't believe I ever saw it. I would have had to have executed the action and there's either something wrong with my PS4 controller or it doesn't work quite the way it says it's supposed to with a PS4 pl- uh, controller on PC. It's one of those two mm. things cuz I could not get it to work when the prompt came up when my wife played it the night after we recorded. But I had a different tooltip that was uh telling me about secondary missions that persisted the entirety of my game after every load. It's just, yeah, they're just fucked. Yeah. And all of these things can be true, while I also feel like going back to back from, I've just had a series of really interesting revelations about a wider mystery and the state of this weird, you know, um, psychological world stuff going on and, and all the supernatural elements... And then going back to back into 20 minutes of musical number and going, this game is amazing. Yep. And that's kind of where I'm sat right now is this game, I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm going to walk away satisfied and I don't blame anyone who walks away either unsatisfied or hating it. And I think I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of choices that are, that you're either going to enjoy or are going to really fucking grate against you. And I don't blame anyone on that spectrum. Yeah, I mean, I hate to keep bringing up House of Leaves, um, but it is similar in the sense that there is a certain sense that the game is defying you to finish it. Uh, and that will be the case hmm. for a lot of people. Oh, God, the fucking three hour long ending section really did do that like the game (laughs) told me you're nearly done you're at the end game and then i spent the next several hours thinking when when is this over (laughs) it really outstayed its welcome for me and not just because i didn't like it there i have this with with i've had this with other games even ones i really like where it's like this could have ended two fucking hours ago and it's still just waffling I didn't mind the length of the last section, but I think the uh, it changes some fundamental things that like you've become accustomed to throughout the course of the game, and that's a little bit frustrating. I feel, but I was at like the last checkpoint 
and had no idea it was just about to end. And I got stuck on that last checkpoint a couple of times because I just couldn't make it for whatever reason past the final combat encounter. And then it was just over. I see where you're coming from in that it feels like the climax has already well and happened several hours before the conclusion. I'm fine with it. It's setting up some interesting further mysteries that uh, maybe the Remedy Verse will answer one day. But I can, yeah, I could see absolutely why people would be like, all right, can we get this over with? Can we wrap it up? Me, I mean, I, I had, I enjoyed the whole experience. So I was fine with it continuing until whenever time it decided to conclude. Hmm. So yeah, other other stuff multiple of us have played this week. Um, Steph, you've been playing a bit of Thirsty Suitors, which I've also been playing this week. I have. I have played a fair bit of Thirsty Suitors. Um, mm-hmm. This is Same. an... I guess we could call it an RPG. I guess. There's like four genres I could tell you this is. It's a turn-based RPG, and it's also sometimes a Tony Hawk, and it's also... Kind of a dating sim, sort of, and at times a cooking simulator. Yeah, yeah. Um, Although, despite the dabbling in different genres, so much of it comes down to the same few QTE sequences. Yeah. That it's all sort of kind of uniform at the same time. It's mechanically consistent across different genres, which is It's impressive it feels as cohesive as it does. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's both a, um, I think that's both a point of praise and a point of caveat in the hmm. when you hear it baseline described, maybe don't get your hopes up in thinking that it's this big wild clash of genres. It takes hints of those genres um, and puts it in a f- sort of straightforward sort of adventure RPG kind of format, which I do not mean as a point of criticism, just a point of sort of tempering expectations yeah the way i would temper those expectations is to say whether by accident or deliberate choice this is a game about messy relationships that is a little messy in its execution of its shoving a few things together yes and they're gonna be a little awkward and janky in places but they are all serving one larger point i like i like that yeah it's an awkward game about awkward people doing awkward things (laughs) Yeah, like, the, 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 the general pitch for it is you are playing as someone who had a string of bad relationships and ran away from a town and eventually decides to come back home to sort some shit out and deal with all those people you kind of fucked over or had bad endings to relationships with back home. Narratively, it's like a reverse Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, what if Scott Pilgrim wasn't about this this whiny 20-something boy going and fighting all the evil exes, and instead was about Ramona going, I, I should just go have conversations with my exes, it's going to be awkward and painful, but like we'll, we'll sort it? Yeah, yeah, and I really like that. I'm not sure how much I like the game yet, but I do know I like it. I'm finding it incredibly charming. Really like the pointless flair with the witch, the protagonist is animated. Um, mm-hmm. Can't just go down the stairs, has to parkour down the stairs, can't just take her jacket off, has to, like, flip out of her jacket. The first time I washed my hands to do <laughs> cooking, and I did, like, 
a barrel roll at the, at the kitchen sink. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. It's so style over substance, but in a very amusingly done way. Hmm. Uh, and I really enjoy that. Great music. I've I've got the yeah. I've got the the party suitors music stuck in my head like <laughs> as I talk right now. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, yeah. Like like you say, it's it's uh, this uh, the protagonist is dealing with her string of exes who all have seemingly legit, pretty legitimate grievances. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're they're all a little bit like some of them will sway a little more one person in the wrong than the other, but most of them are you both kind of fucked up and you both kind of have some shit to deal with here. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't shy away from the fact that the the you're not heroic and you you have fucked up. There is shit you need to set straight with your family and with your exes and and everything. I like on that regard. Like early on, there's a couple of interactions with some of those exes where your player character is like can be very respectful straight away of like, yep, I do not respect, uh, I do not deserve any of your time, like, it is fine, I will respect what you were asking. Like, this is someone, at least initially presented as, like, very specifically, I, I'm not here to, like, force you to accept I've changed. And that is kind of refreshing in this sort of story. Yeah, oh, definitely. The characters are all really endearing as well. Mm. I love the dad. He's yes. he's just delightful. They seem to have definitely sort of nailed it with the mum, the stern South Asian mum stereotype. Done really well here. Like the cooking mini games, some of them are just like demoralizing with with her lack of praise for you as you succeed in cooking. It's walking a really interesting line. There's a conversation early on where um another South Asian character um and and the the main character talk about She's being really nice to me to my face and she isn't being angry at me and this is so much worse than if she would just tell me what she's feeling and be angry at me because I'm just sat stewing on it. Yeah. And like, they capture that line of I'm not going to praise you but I'm not going to shout at you and leave you in limbo is beautifully walked. Very much so. Mm. Um, the gameplay, like we say, is very... Uh, it's very QTE based. There's... Yes. And that's for a lot of things. Like, for the washing of hands. Uh, the cooking is a whole bunch of sort of timed button presses and stuff like that. Um, none of it too egregious. Uh, I quite, yeah. because they sort of add a rhythm to it, it's almost got a kind of rhythm game vibe. Yes. Because each QTE will be preceded, or at least the button press ones will be preceded by a kind of beat leading into them. Mm. So it gives it this little rhythm game flavor that I quite like and really works yeah. with the kind of... Um, overly flary visuals uh, to just give it this sort of real like music video feel almost. You know what maybe my favourite thing about it mm -hmm. so far is I really like how they handle the combat. The Shin Megami Tensei games for a long time have tried to do this thing where you have JRPG combat but sometimes you have a conversation with the person you're fighting and picking the right narrative choice will have an impact on the way the battle is going. And SMT as a series has never really gotten that right. And Thirsty Suitors, I think, really kind of nails it, because you can be doing your regular attacks and you've got special attacks, but you also have the ability to, based on the conversation you're having with the person you're fighting, try and intuit what 
emotional areas of insecurity they may have, or what might provoke a reaction out of them. And if you correctly guess, a certain class of um, attack will deal much higher damage for a few turns, and some debuffs will be applied to the person you're fighting. And that system, from what I've seen so far, I have had a pretty good rate of being able to read the dialogue of someone talking and go, yeah, I think I, I think I know what's going to get to you. Yeah, I like that system. I do too. I, I really like how like status effects are moods that have not just one effect but multiple different effects. Uh, like if they're in a shocked mood, then they can't take any actions. If they're in like an angry mood, they will get like an attack buff, but sort of a drop to some other stats or stuff like that. Um, just yeah. I guess for the listeners who aren't aware, uh, combat is very sort of uh, turn-based, very sort of classic turn-based RPG kind of stuff. Um, the fights are all supposed to represent intellectual battles instead of like physical fighting. So any weapons that are there are kind of um, imagined. Uh, and you're kind of going after someone's sort of um, psyche rather than their body, hence inflicting moods on them. Like, uh, And you do that, there's an interesting sort of dynamic there where you put them in the mood by using a taunt that is designed to inflict that mood, like thirsty is the, the sort of one that you're first introduced to so you do the thirsty taunt in which um she'll bat her eyelids and try and look all saucy and then say something and then if they get thirsty their attacks become really ineffectual and once they're in a mood you have a series of special attacks which are basically like magic attacks they use willpower as a resource and each attack is designed to inflict extra damage based on what moods they're in and that's the kind of flow it's Work out which moods you can put a character in, get them in that mood, then hit them with attacks designed to hurt, deal extra damage based on that mood. Um, I really like that flow. Uh, I am not mega, mega, mega far into it yet, but I am at a point right now where I'm, I'm sort of bypassing it because I've got an attack that's so powerful, whether or not the mood's inflicted, that I could, I could engage with the mechanic. Or I could just bypass it all and get the fight done quickly, which I kind of prefer to do because fights, especially if you're doing like all of the allotted fights in a given like in-game day um, in order to, you know, level out as much as you can. Fights can be quite lengthy. Um, there's a lot of uh, things being said in them and attacks have a, quite a bit of setup with their animations and that, and they can get very samey. Yeah, um, sometimes it's a little bit like that with the... Um, I, I'm, I was going to call them random battles, they're not, but I tend to engage with the, the combat mechanics more with the narratively interesting yes. fights. Yes, same. Yeah, so to explain like the, the random battle equivalent here, it is... Your grandmother <laughs> is determined to get you married, like, right the fuck now. So there are these little present boxes around uh, that you can optionally go and engage with. And uh, I forget what the pair of words that sound similar uh, to each other is. It's gift or grift. Gift or grift. So you either get a free item to, like, have in your inventory, 
or a battle with someone your grandma is convinced you will marry today. <laughs> and I like that those are optional and avoidable and you decide how much you're going to engage with them. They're all the skeeziest fucking men possible and the vibe is exactly where it should be. Yes, yes. I enjoy that. Further into the game where I'm at another location and it's a different setup, it's the same kind of random battle thing, but instead of the gift grift, you can just straight up start battles with these sort of skater kids. Yes. But it's it's a similar thing, and you can only do a certain amount of them per chapter, like per day. I like that it's limited so that you're not there feeling like you keep having to grind. There's a kind of yeah. max amount you can engage in, and then you feel like, yep, I've done all I can to sort of be in the best condition I can be level-wise, and I can move on. And I like that it has a really good flow of, like, encouraging you to move back and forth between the different things it's doing. Because, like, you're offered maybe two or three new recipes per d in a day that you can go do, and you, you know... Uh, you might get sent over to go do some combat, and you might be sent over to see this NPC, and there might be a boss fight. But it it weaves you between them, so you're doing like you're never doing one of them for too long. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's all it all comes together quite charmingly. I think so. The writing's been lovely. It, every character's been wonderfully written. Really well distinguished characters. It's very queer. Yes. Um. Very. Just to like make sure that's out there. Um, like, the main character is openly bisexual, the sort of, I hesitate to call her a, a, an antagonist, but she's, like, the main ex, where you've got, like, the most sort of, um, recriminations baggage. And, and stuff. Yeah, the most baggage. Um, she's trans, and also devastatingly hot. Like, right. I, I, oh. I think I'm, like, in romantic love with Tyler. That aesthetic is... Yeah. Mm. Oh my. I, I like the, without getting into too much depth on it, I do really like how this game engages with um, queer identities in a few different ways, mm -hmm. from a few different perspectives. Um, be that the intersection of being queer and South Asian, to having a complicated, messy past when both you and someone maybe weren't entirely out as queer, and maybe some shitty things you did while not because you weren't out or weren't in a situation safe to be out through to like there's there's a bunch of really complex kind of messy but very real uh experiences of queerness in here that i'm really impressed by definitely it doesn't feel like a game that's just going representation and leaving it yeah. at that like this is the queer identity is very much baked into the identity of the game which I like to see. It's, this isn't just representation. This is very much a queer game. I will say that I, I think the one thing I'm not super keen on um, out of all of these different disparate elements is the skating. I find it kind of dull as a baseline and also just kind of... It's very fiddly. The, the controls don't have a it's... lot of depth to them. But the physics are a bit off, and it's so easy to miss. Like, when it wants you to jump from, like, grind rail, right, grind rail to grind rail, there's no snapping on it, so you just kind of have to hope. That was going to be exactly my, my complaint about the... Because uh, I've enjoyed the skating in little doses, specifically in the skate park where there are some challenges to do. But the problem I consistently have is accurately jumping from one rail to another, in challenges that often 
not just from like a this would feel good from a flow perspective, but like from what it is challenging you to do often requires you to be precise about hopping from rail to rail in a way that this game is not precise enough about. Um, there, There is like a spiral to get to the top of a central section in that skate park where I have so much goddamn trouble hopping from a fl- onto the rail that will spiral me up. Constantly. And I don't know what I could be doing differently to, to get around that. And the skating's yeah. like it's never it's never like been a progression blocker in this yet for me. And there are times I enjoy it, but there are times where I'm like, yeah, this feels fine and or I'm having to replay this a couple more times than I should need to because of this. Yeah. I did notice in the accessibility options, uh, you can tick a box so that you don't have to do skate challenges that are required for the story. And I want to do them and have. Oh them no, be good. I totally agree. <laughs> I like. I wasn't like because I know you'd have seen it because I know you'd have looked at the options. Um, yeah. What I, what I mean to say is like something tells me I might end up just ticking that box because I'm so not caring to engage with the skating. I've been thinking about it, and I'm like, I don't think I'm gonna like turn it on default. But if I if I hit an annoying roadblock, I'll just turn it on for a second and turn it off, rather than like push through. I really don't appreciate the fact that you can't move the camera when you're skating. You can only look in the direction that she's facing, and yes, that makes it even harder. Like there's some skate challenges in that park where it's like collect these tokens, and I can't get the camera to line up in such a way that I can tell if I jump off this grind rail, will I grab the token or will I just skate right like over or under it? Because the camera's not Mm. in a good angle and I can't move it. I agree with you on those complaints. I I think overall, I still think this is really interesting and I I feel like it's going to be a, a, a pretty strong recommend with caveats. I... I think it's something pretty special, and I, I very much appreciate the degree of flair with which it is It is doing what it is doing, but just, again, it's doing a lot of genres, and it's a little messy in some of them. Yeah, I'm in the exact but... same boat as you. I think I agree with you <laughs> yeah. 100% on it. I'm going to stick stick with it. Um, once I've gotten... I'm going to try and finish Alan Wake, and then uh, I want to finish this this week as well, but like... I think it's something pretty special. Just go in knowing a few of its piece, bits and pieces are a little messy and a little janky, but there's still something really worth loving here. Much like the cast of characters in the game. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, Conrad, you played anything else this week? Yeah, I. Uh, after the conversation last week, I, uh, I started playing that RoboCop Rogue City. Ooh. I mean, I'm more or less just going to second everything Steph said there. <laughs> it is a very, very good RoboCop game. And of, and in my opinion, a very good first-person shooter. Because it's the kind of first-person shooter I would want to play. I don't care for the genre that much. I, I don't like cover mechanics. I don't find them particularly fun to play with. I like the more, I'm more of a a Doom go forward and blow shit up, but Doom's too fast for my aging reflexes. This occupies a middle ground that I find very satisfying. I love the way Robocop moves. Like, it just 
feels perfect. It could be more satirical. I agree. I did like the bit. I just finished the uh, bank segment. And I love the bank director who is so concerned that you remove the bomb from his chest so it doesn't damage company property. <laughs> <laughs> that that made me happy. Yeah, it's got those little flashes where you can see like that they're, they're going for that same satire. Yeah, like they get it. They understand yeah. the appeal and what Robocop is, is trying to do. And, and, you know, even the plot reflects that very well. It feels like a very Robocop plot. That Ed 209 boss's pants. Fuck that. Terrible. Awful. There's nothing interesting to it. It's just big meat thing, well, big metal thing, walk towards you and shoot and stomp and you back up and shoot back. Um, did not care for that at all. But otherwise, I'm having a great time with it. Um, I get the sense that I'm like maybe three quarters of the way through. And I will probably finish it. It's It's been a lot of fun, and I would recommend people check that out. I wish they'd, like, get the Aliens license. I'd like to see them do some <laughs> Marines. I would love that. I yeah. would like to see them do several different games. Several people, when I published my review of the game, several people said they'd like to see Starship Troopers, which... That would work Another well. Verhoeven movie um, that I would love to see, uh, definitely. I've been plugging for The Thing... Because even though it wouldn't be a pure sort of action FPS, um, the Thing PS2 game had plenty of fighting in it. Um, And I think they do quite well at taking what they've got with Terminator Resistance and Robocop and making something a little less combat-y and a little more horror-themed. I would love to see in this really. The hub areas in this really demonstrate that they can, you know, like, I enjoy exploring around those. And RoboCop's slow as fuck. Um, But I like Mm -hmm. those little, you know, secondary objective sites. I appreciate that it warns me that there's one that I haven't found if I'm about to leave the area. Um, Yeah, I I think they could definitely do something. And and actually, it's almost 50-50 in this for the amount of time I spend walking around in non-combat scenarios. And that stuff's fine. I like turning on RoboCop Vision and finding highlighted things to inspect. And yeah, it works. I don't have anything else to say about it, though. It's 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 fun and people should <laughs> play it. It's a great little game, though. Yeah. A couple of quick ones I can rattle through. Um, I finished Dave the Diver. That game is fantastic. I mirror everything I said last week. Um... I'm very impressed at how many uh, mechanical genre shifts that game does for brief moments of time that are very polished and then just sort of discarded as if they were nothing and on we go. I think its sort of pacing and length were about about right for for what it had to work with. Um, I like that there is some post-game content so I can keep going now the story is over if I wish. There is a drip feed of just other things to be doing if you want to do that, but generally I think it's very charming. I think that it is um, a really lovely little gameplay loop that I got really, really into and could just enjoy in these little bite-sized chunks of joyous creativity. Dave the Diver is fantastic. Um, the other game I'll quickly get out of the way... Um, 
I played some of the new WarioWare, WarioWare Move It. Um, it's a motion control WarioWare game, and um, you know whether that's appealing to you or not. It's I have very little to say about it other than one of my favorite WarioWare games was the one on the Wii, Smooth Moves. I do like motion control when it comes to WarioWare as a series. I think frantically getting your Joy-Cons and putting them in a different position and working out what you've got to do in, in the heat of the moment is a fun little thing to do with other people. I like that there's a co-op mode, and I like how it handles co-op, where if one person fails a challenge, it'll pass that same challenge to the next person, so they've already seen it once and have, like, slightly more of an idea of what they're doing to, like, avoid losing a life by managing the challenge the other person failed. As with any motion-controlled WarioWare game, there's certain poses that you get asked to hold the controller in that work better than others. There is one in particular uh, particular that's like going into a squat position that I consistently had trouble getting the controller to read what it was supposed to. But I like that there's an entire selection of minigames that involve the IR camera that no one ever fucking uses in their games uh, and does so to really interesting effect. Um, it's... If you want to play through the story mode with another person, it's maybe like three hours of having silly a silly time running around wiggling stuff in your living room. It's fun. It's exactly what you expect out of a warrior where there's nothing that surprising about it. Um, what about you, Steph? You played anything else this week? Uh, the only other thing I played of note really was Alien Hominid Invasion, um, which is, as near as I can tell, a new Alien Hominid game. Brought it out alongside Alien Hominid HD, like a re-release of the original from way back in the 2000s. A game that I have never liked, but have always really wanted to because I love the behemoth's art style. And I love the little sort of, the little yellow alien design for the Alien Hominid. But it's one of those games, Alien Hominid has always been one of those games that, like so many people think that the days of Nintendo Hard were good and not a cynical way to exploit children by making them re-rent the game from Blockbuster. I <laughs> do not like games that are designed with an NES difficulty mentality. And Alien Hominid is is such a such an unreasonable fucking game. Yep. And Alien Hominid Invasion, while more playable. It's not as bad as Alien Hominid, and and I do believe Alien Hominid is fucking bad. It is not as bad in, in that sort of hostile-to-the-player design, but that word, unreasonable, is all I can keep coming back to. It's all like... It, I've said that word so many times while playing Alien Hominid Invasion, which, at its core, is a really neat idea. So this time around, it's sort of a roguelike kind of thing where you have your own little alien and you can choose different colours and unlock different heads. And there are all sorts of really cool little like, heads that you can put on it, like a little clown or a little hammerhead shark or a little doggy. Um, and that's the stuff that sort of kept me coming back to it, even though I'm not having a good time, because I just want to keep like getting cute little alien heads. But you get your alien, and then you can choose from a selection of different types of guns, and then you are plonked onto a map 
that has various stages on them and you fight your way from stage to stage to get to the enemy headquarters to take out the boss at the end. As you fight through levels, you get treasure chests and if you die, you lose them. But if you get to a safe house on the map and bank them, then they become permanent unlocks, which is a really cool idea. The level setups are really neat as well. There's a couple of different level types, but the main one is you get plunked into a level and you have to keep shooting enemies and they drop intelligence, these little documents, and you collect enough of those. And once you've collected and deposited enough of those, a mission opens, which is something like kill five purple enemies or pick up this object and take it to this target, stuff like that. And you do a couple of them and then you can either exit the level or go for one more round and do another uh, mission to get like just loads of bonus stuff like bonus coins and rewards i fucking love it the the dynamic this has is really cool um and there are a couple of other different level types like a chase one where like you're being chased by a thing on one side of the screen that is just like gonna crush you if it catches you and you keep having to like fight from left to right fighting these like key robots to open up doors so that you can keep going before you get crushed and there's like a wave-based bonus round that is just survive as many waves as you can and get more rewards but i don't know who it's for the actual combat it's so hard to communicate how and i'll just use the word again unreasonable it is without showing it to you in action so you can see how much lethality is on the screen at once there is so much going on enemies just keep appearing all with different attack patterns and combinations that can sometimes just be so fucking overwhelming you can't stop and shoot and it wants you to like charge up your attacks to get like ones that are covered in armor or aim in a certain direction to get really fast moving flying ones and then there are little robots that make other enemies invincible like like give them an invincible field but they can do it from like two screens off in the distance some enemies are throwing like big long chains of bullets at you while others are like covering the screen in flamethrower fire and there are bombs and there are snipers and there and I once in in several days of playing I got to the HQ part once and fought the boss there and I was aghast I could not I couldn't even follow what was happening on screen there was just so much there's bullet hell and there is what the hell and and this is very much in that latter category and it fucking sucks because fundamentally i enjoy this game it's not as awkward to play as the first one and they've added some little things like there's a, a much better dodge roll and you get a double jump and if you shoot downwards you stay in the air and get a little extra height and it it's really fluid all that movement and it feels really fucking good and there's neat little touches like any flying enemies, almost every flying enemy you can jump on top of and then steer them around a bit until you send them into the floor um, to uh, explode them. Uh, and it, when it when that game is on, 
and it, and it's in in the very few pockets of reason and sense it feels great to play but i don't think i'll be able to stick with much more of it because it just is not fun i'm sure for some people it must be but i don't know what is fun about being so overwhelmed that you can't do anything. Well, you you brought up Nintendo hard at the start of this, and Mm -hmm. I think that there is a certain level of appeal to that, the presentation of that level of difficulty when that difficulty cannot be attributed to mechanical shortcomings, right? Right. I think that there's a certain sense of purity in the challenge that comes from making modern versions of these games that are that fucking hard, but you can't blame it on the shitty controls or the shitty controller because those things have been made so tight and pure that it's indisputable. I will probably play this because I really enjoy Behemoth's style, generally Mm -hmm. speaking, and I had fun with Alien Hominid a lot. But I didn't finish it. Why would you? Yeah. You know? Uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this because maybe it's just my sort of, my sensibilities and, and you know, how I think uh, a game should treat its audience. But <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't even feel tight. It doesn't feel like this was explicitly designed challenge. This feels like let's throw as much shit as we can and fuck him. That's unfortunate, because I think that the first Alien Hominid, while extraordinarily difficult, was pretty tightly designed. Like, it was well-timed and sequenced. You could get very good at it. Yeah, I'll, I'll try it out. Yeah, uh, it does have online, and I was hoping that maybe online co-op would help, but uh, I, I mean, I'm playing the Switch version, and I haven't found anyone playing it. <laughs> Ooh. The game does seem to, like, spawn in... AI-controlled hominids that just sort of seem randomly generated. So something makes me wonder, like, has this been more explicitly designed for co-op? And it's just... I'm just fucked if no one's playing it. Well, I I think it has been explicitly designed for co-op. Like, you know, in the marketing materials, co-op is in the first sentence. But I think even beyond that, like, even four players on there, there's... Especially because you can jump on each other's shoulders. Well, yeah, that's just going to add to more chaos. Yeah, and and I, I really wish I enjoyed it. I really wish I enjoyed f- feeling punished for playing the game, yeah. as some people do. I don't. Yeah, like, that's the same problem you'd run into with the Yoshi and Super Mario Wonder that I was complaining about a few weeks ago. That, Mm -hmm. you know, you just wind up too close and you happen to land on something and now you have to take a different action than you were anticipating because this thing happened. Um, And it's just, it's too much. Adding that on top of the audio-visual and and offense-based overwhelm of that game, Mm -hmm. adding Mm. that on top is just, it's too far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will I'll check it out and yeah, report back. Yeah. I very next much week. want to see what you think because I think out of us um certainly out of us too, you would be the one to appreciate this more. And I'd be interested to see if you think it does what I think it does, which is 
throw the idea of tight design out the window and just overwhelms you in mm-hmm. in lieu of designing a challenging game. Yeah. Um, that's my impression, but you may feel otherwise, and I would love to know. So, with that out of the way, we've got a couple of bits of uh, new stuff to talk about this week. Um, quick one... Well, quick couple of things we can get out of the way here, because... Um, I'm I'm throwing these two on the on the topic list purely because any any other day I would have assumed this was April first that both of these news stories happened. Uh, Grand Theft Auto Six is finally getting a trailer, and a live action Zelda movie got announced, and those are just two things that happening in twenty four hours seems like an April Fool's day, but apparently that's happening. Sony's making a live action Zelda movie at some point. It's being made by the people who make the Spider Man films. Okay. These days, with corporate media being what it is, that's not an outlandish... If that were a joke, it wouldn't be an outlandish one. Right? Like, do you remember one of the biggest video game-based pranks back in the day was the old science fiction Zelda movie that, um, like, the rumours of a sci-fi Zelda going around. That wouldn't be unbelievable these days. I explicitly, like, I explicitly remember the last time I thought about the idea of a live-action Zelda movie, it was in, like, 2007 when IGN put up on April Fool's a fake Zelda movie trailer that they put way too much production value into. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's happening. But, you know, we've got fucking Arya Stark and Bugs Bunny in the same fucking video game now. Like, there is nothing that these companies won't do. They're desperate for anything. Yeah, Spider-Man people making a Zelda movie is happening. Uh, yeah, why not? The Super Mario Brothers movie was a huge success. I see no reason why Nintendo wouldn't want to push further with this. No, mm-hmm. but one thing I will say is interesting is the fact that they're not going with Illumination. Which I I, I I can see on paper, like, they're very different genres and you're probably going to go different directions mm-hmm. with them. Like, Universal and Illumination seem to be where Nintendo was, like, really banking all of their, like... If this goes well, we keep making films. That Sony Pictures studio that does the Spider-Man, that, that, yeah. they are solid. And, yeah, and, 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 and I think more suited to a not necessarily adult drama, but a more dramatic uh, presentation. And so, yeah, I, I'd be interested. I, I think that's the most telling thing about this is... Nintendo is willing to work with multiple film studios mm-hmm. and to not just go, we found one that didn't fuck up, we'll stick with them. I think Hollywood has caught up to their insistence on um, intellectual property management. It's not, it's not like the, you know, the Super Mario Brothers movie where it was like, oh, okay, this is this thing we're going to... We're going to just make a movie. Games are a multi-billion dollar industry that yeah. is outpacing the motion picture industry. They're going to, I think, I think they're at the point now where they're like, all right, well, these projects are clearly, clearly doing things right. And we don't want to veer too far off course with that, which to me is a damn fucking shame because I love mm. when they get weird. Yeah, but Nintendo doesn't love when they get yep. weird. Fair enough. <laughs> Other things that happened this week, uh, we got, I guess we've got to talk about this one. Microsoft is uh, going all in on AI being used in game development. 
Microsoft and an AI company called InWorld have announced a multi-year co-development partnership uh, that they will use to make a range of AI tools for Xbox Game Studios to use, including AI Design Copilot and AI Character Runtime Engine. The Design Copilot will take prompts and turn them into detailed scripts, dialogue trees, quests, and more and the character runtime will enable entirely new narratives with dynamically generated stories, quests, and dialogue. Now, you might be aware of InWorld AI's work. Uh, do you remember fairly recently there was a, um AI mod for GTA V doing the rounds, where people could have conversations with NPCs and AI would spit out responses? Yeah, they're the people behind that. That's what they do. They've been making mods for other games where you you speak into your microphone and then AI text-to-speeches you a response and that's how you talk to NPCs in games. Oh, see, until you said text-to-speech, I was just like, oh, that's actually a practical application. Not a good application because, you know, it eliminates the need for people who are actually going to write compelling content. But that content in a lot of cases probably wouldn't be written anyway. Like, they just wouldn't bother to go to an extent with it. I don't like that it's it's yeah. present, but that actually does make sense. Because it's so incidental to the experience. It's the first step on the road that every kind of media production is dancing around at the moment. Yeah. It is... If you look at everything with like the uh, the the Writers Guild of America and the SAG After strikes that have been going on and are still ongoing in SAG After's case, it's the how much can we like start making tools so we pay writers less and just sort of automate more. Well, and this is this is also like it's tied to the, the idea of of background actor performances, you know, um, which yes. is the big part of AI um, and and body scanning tech that they're you know fighting over this strike um yeah i mean it is definitely an erosion but I mean, this is one of those points at which i can see people accepting it it's definitely an entry point it makes sense and that's bad yeah it's frustrating it's yet another industry that's that's leaning in on hey what if we take other writers work and chop it about and reshuffle it and spit it out of something new take the artist out of the art that's yeah yeah the dream it's the capitalist dream i do think that uh there's hope because of how resoundingly nfts wound up being rejected yeah well i think we've got to push harder yes than we did with nfts because this is so ruinous mm -hmm. i did a video on ai earlier in the year i am gonna do another one because so much has happened since then and it is nfts were a blatant and insidious scam ai which itself is a misleading name for what this shit is is an outright threat to multiple industries. And it's an easier sell. It's a much easier yeah. sell. Yeah. And an even bigger scam. Because mm -hmm. let's face it, like the technology is not where they are pretending it is. You can't write a film using these algorithms and have it be a good one. But we've had companies go out of their way to try and break media li literacy of the audience down to just to being hyped for like recognizable comic book names in trailers. Mm. Like they want movies to be nothing but 
disjointed scene after disjointed scene of fan service. That, I reckon, an algorithm could do. But at that point, yeah. we really have given up hope that, that media itself is has future um, as works of art in the commercial space. It doesn't seem sustainable. No. Ultimately. So little yeah. of this stuff is. Like, we've seen the, the Marvel burnout is real. Like, yes. Hmm. People are I, demonstrably becoming less and less interested in seeing this same shit over and over and over again. And if you wind up replacing all of the creative talent that does original work with AI generative stuff that only has the basis of old ideas to work off of, you won't get anything new and your industry will stagnate and ultimately audiences will walk away from it. But if you look at the the stuff that was going on with the WGA and the AMPTP, it's very clear that, you know, whether the te- the technology is where it needs to be currently, the dream that a lot of these executives have is we pay you once to write a thing, and if it's successful, we take what you wrote and use that to churn out similar sounding stuff, and we hope that it feels enough like something you'd write that people come back and we don't have to pay you again. Like, that's the end goal they want to exist. They want a world where if they've paid you once and people liked what you did, they can just farm out sound-alike words and hope that'll get you in the seat two or three more times. Right, but the fear of, of and- failure... Um, the need for everything to generate profit puts them in a position where they won't take the risks on the new shit. Yeah. It's fucking terrifying, especially talking to someone who wrote for a video game last year, is writing for a video game now, is eyeing up other projects, who wants to do more writing in entertainment, like like published entertainment, I guess we'd call it. Because like, obviously, I guess you could call the other stuff we all do as entertainment I ultimately i mean yeah yeah i mean not boston's favorite son obviously no. but, but the rest of it is classified as entertainment but you know as someone who wants to write for video games more than they have done and has been starting to do more it is obviously terrifying to see microsoft yeah. um doing these deals where they want ai generated story content yeah. and stuff like that um, as someone who has done um, voice acting before, and and at one one point considered that as as a, a career sort of um, potential, it is terrifying to see all of that. Like like it was scary enough with NFTs doing all the sort of auto generated voice clips and stuff, but but where we've got now with with movie studios trying to get people to sign the rights. To their face and body away so that they only ever have to be employed once and then can be auto-generated for all time including long after their death um i've seen many people point out that like there are simpsons episodes parodying this shit um mm. but that's where we're at and and it's yeah i i'm someone who's always classified themselves as a writer who no matter what happens in future with with my work, that's what I always want to do. I'm proud of my ability to write. I think I'm a fucking good writer. But I'm terrified of a world where artless 
contextless, clueless, dipshit executives yeah. who have no fucking respect for talent, individuality, or unique voices, just sees content. No art, no media, yeah. just content. And thinks people like myself are fucking obsolete. It is so fucking scary. So yeah. fucking scary and insulting to, to, to you know, add that on top yes. of it. For myself and for other writers I know, like, we're fucking good at this shit. All I will say is, as someone else who has also done writing in various capacities for various projects that will eventually surface, um, the fact that I have, as of, you know, the last year or so, had to scour contracts to make sure, like, that there is clear fucking language one way or another about AI use of the things I write is a worrying sign for that being a direction my career can long-term go. Unless things change, so fucking... Let's hope that people give a shit about this. I'm sick of life being in the horror genre. Can we, can we all just, like, move into romantic comedy for a year or two? <laughs> like life is fucking horrible <laughs> wouldn't that be something yeah. uh while we're, while we're talking about xbox um in the ever encroaching space of uh more and more prominent advertising in products you purchased already some xbox users uh this past week booted up their xbox to be greeted by a full screen advertisement for a game and options to purchase it, rather than their Xbox dashboard. Uh, The advert was for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, uh, and it was like, hey, fight against the ultimate threat, play the campaign now, get the Vault Edition upgrade and the thing and the this and the that. And you had three options. By default, your Xbox was selecting Buy Now, the next option, get the Vault Edition upgrade before finally exit to get to your Xbox dashboard. You know, the thing that usually shows up when you boot your Xbox up. It didn't go down well. At least it was for no. a product that they actually own. Because how fucking insulting would it be for it to just be a blatant marketing for other companies thing? It was, but you know what else it was? It was an advert for buy the game now that isn't technically out till next week. Pay extra, buy it now, that's, play it now. That's their whole thing. That thing that's they've been doing thing. recently. Yep. Yeah. Uh, apparently this isn't the first time they've done this. It's the first time I've been aware of it. Apparently some people got these for Starfield and Forza Motorsport earlier this year. Fun fact, both also games that you could pay extra money to play early because of the, uh, everyone's hyped about them right now, get them. So yeah, Xbox really is going down this path and not backing down. So that's fun. We've got a couple of quick quick stories about Nintendo. Uh, one of them we can just get out of the way quick. Uh, the Nintendo Switch is pretty solidly on track to probably end up the best-selling console of all time. Uh, they've sold 132 million of them so far, which puts it, like I think, less than 20 million from the top spot. It is... Currently the third best-selling console of all time. Uh, More interestingly, perhaps, we're in a situation now where either Nintendo is lying or Bobby Kotick is lying, and both of them probably want you to think the other other told them a lie. I mean, they're both liars. And 
Well, yeah, but this is specifically like a very public uh, accusation of lies. So do you remember a little while ago we talked about um, Bobby Kotick might be the only person on the planet that we know for a fact has played the Switch too? We know according to Bobby Kotick. Yeah, well, I mean, this was from legal documents as part of the Activision Blizzard King uh, you know, acquisition, which you would think would be a fairly, like, okay, we can probably believe that that Oh, happened. I don't know. Kotick's probably... People lie in depositions all the fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's the situation. There was an investor briefing with Nintendo um, that happened, and it's where we got those those sales numbers for the Switch from. Uh, Nintendo president Shintaro Fur- Furukawa uh, issued a blanket denial to address a swath of reports that have uh, been talking about the Switch too. And these come from various, I would say, pretty accurate sources in several cases. One of them was reports that the Switch 2 was shown uh, behind closed doors to certain development partners at Gamescom back in August, um, and that talked about like some of the hardware being shown off and like the technical specs being shown to devs. Nintendo has said that is an outright lie, there's no truth to it. Now, it might be an outright lie, and there might be no truth to those reports. It could just be Nintendo wants to deny a leak of information that they're not ready to publicly discuss. So when pressed on it in an investor meeting was like, no, of course that's not true. We haven't announced it. Uh, but he also said as much of the, the Bobby Kotick uh, situation. Uh, he specifically cited the idea that Nintendo had discussed future hardware with a publisher last year as untrue. So according to him, Kotick's talking out his ass. He never saw the Switch 2. Why would he say he saw the Switch 2? There's no Switch 2. Kotick, Kotick made it up, probably. But, like, the thing is, I'd be surprised if Kotick hadn't seen the Switch 2. Yeah. I feel like if they're... Like, at this point, Kotick was involved in a big enough third-party company that dev kits, or at the very least conversations about target specs, had probably happened. The other thing is that it took a long time for this reaction to come, which just says to me, well, we were waiting until we knew whether or not Bobby Kotick was still going to be a force in this industry in a couple of months. So, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to call him a liar at this point because he don't give a shit and he's not going to be around. It's a weird one. I never want to say I believe Bobby Kotick over a different human being. <laughs> like, usually my my default stance would be Bobby Kotick is the least believable human. Well, none of these are humans. But in this... No. <laughs> but in in this case, uh, my gut says Kotick probably did see the Switch 2 and Nintendo's probably just denying it because, you know, they kind of have to. Because they can. Not strictly Nintendo news, but uh, you know how we've been talking about about uh, the Sonic series recently? Yeah, and, yeah. and how those games, you know, can't seem to quite be great because they constantly throw out, you know, the baby with the bathwater, I think the phrase is. Well, um... A Sega executive uh, announced that he wants Sonic to surpass Mario. So, <laughs> is this... So I, I saw that headline, and my thought was, oh my god, Sega is getting into time travel technology. Because that's the only fucking way Sonic will ever be bigger than Mario. Uh, well, look, I can read you these quotes. This is um, Asamu Ahashi, uh, who is... Uh, he is in charge of both the Sonic series and rebooting old IPs to try and create a second Sonic, if you will. Um, he was interviewed internally by Sega Japan for, like, recruitment purposes. 
Uh, and let me let me read you his quotes about how he he wants Sonic to grow in the future. Uh, and I quote: Simply put, I want to surpass Mario. <laughs> Sonic was a game originally developed to compete with Mario, and we have yet to achieve it. <laughs> we have yet to yes, achieve we competition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but he continues. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he continues. But uh, because we respect Mario, my goal is to catch up and surpass him. <laughs> I love just the bald face acknowledgement of their failure. Yeah, yeah but he respects Mario, so he's gonna kick his ass. <laughs> oh god, they'll get round to it oh. right after Microsoft buys Nintendo. Oh. <laughs> he's not done he's not done yet though. He's got more to say. Oh god I won't live, I won't survive. <sighs> We want Sonic to be played all over the world, including Japan, just like Mario. And we want the movie to be a bigger hit than Mario. (laughs) We also want to build a Sonic attraction in Universal Studios Japan, which is where the Super Mario World theme park is. That is my goal as a Sonic lover. I would like a stable, consistent income that meets my needs, but I'm sorry, Sega, we just don't all get what the fuck we want in this world. <sighs> oh, I'd love adults today to be able to buy the houses their parents could afford. <laughs> <laughs> I want to like Alan Wake too. <laughs> I am genuinely dislodged so much in my lungs. <coughs> oh, no. God. Oh, no. Oh, oh God! Uh, oh man, gosh. it is the dream of many Sega executives to, to like see me dead, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure that fucking's come close. Fucking hell! I I started off thinking, oh, you know, I'm just gonna keep laughing in the background for a fun bit for the podcast, and at some point, it became genuine, unstoppable laughter. It was the word yet. Yeah, that's yet. what did it. <laughs> We're not there yet. <laughs> we'll get there though. Again. We'll get there though. Oh god. Uh, oh, I think I can. I think I can. Oh dear, that was fucking wonderful. That the was little hedgehog that could world class. <laughs> well, in in another story about people not achieving things they they ambitiously thought they were going to achieve. Mm. Um, you know how the Epic Game Store's been around for what f- about five years now. Mm-hmm. Still not made any fucking money. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm. I not profitable no, in the slightest. I don't, think that, I don't think that's a problem for them either. Like they make a, a lot of money off of various little pies that they have their sticky little fingers in. This was going to be a loss leader for a long time, and I think that they knew that. It's not any different from how long it took fucking Twitter to make any money before it immediately cratered. Five years does not feel like too long to keep losing money in a competition with Steam. I agree with you, but I do want to add one little caveat to that, which is quite where their ambitions uh, were, were aiming for, uh, because they are at the point of no no profit, we have not made any money. Epic had hoped to have claimed half of all gaming revenue for PC games by, by, by this point. Yeah. I'm sure they did. <laughs> they wanted they, they they were aiming for half the market 
was there. They're like, yeah, we can we can have half the market by now. That, yeah, that sounds like the sort of thing you tell an investor knowing in your heart that it's completely ludicrous. Yeah, and surprise, surprise, they do not yet have all half of all profits in the PC gaming space. Stunning. That hasn't happened yet. And last last but not least, we we got more stories about up, uh, layoffs at gaming companies, because of course we do. This time it's Ubisoft Montreal. Uh, 124 people have been let go. Ubisoft's uh, statement on the matter is, We're reorganising our Canadian studios, general and administrative functions, and reducing headcount and in our global IT team, and this will impact 124 positions overall. These decisions are not taken lightly. Blah, 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 blah. It's more corporate apologism for, hey, we made infinite money yet again this year, but 124 people don't have a job anymore just before Christmas. Goodbye. Cool. That is a cool thing. That is very cool. Industry is just going to keep doing this, huh? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Sometimes I think about, like, what stuff was like when I first got into games media, like, a very, 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 very long time ago now. Um, And there was a lot that pissed me off. I was an angrier person back then, actually. But as, as shitty as the industry was, it wasn't so bleak. I think that's... Everything's just so bleak now. Well, we had the indie revolution back then to, you know, inspire hope. And, you know, and now that's, you know, a lot of that's been consolidated and squeezed out. And it's become so hard to uh, market those games because social media has become so fragmented and or awful. Um, Like, it's, it's part of larger trends, generally speaking, relating to technology and uh yeah you're right i don't don't disagree at all it's it definitely feels more grim there it feels like there should be less hope um i'm still hopeful that we can reject a lot of this that's that's going wrong and we can find other ways uh that we will build better studios that are founded on firmer principles by people who believe in them i hope so i mean what you said earlier rings true in this situation as well as most of the bleak situations is that it isn't sustainable like this the awfulness can't go on forever um it's just whether or not there is something good to be built when it collapses or if too much has eroded for there to be anything left to build with that's the fear factor it could go either way obviously one hopes the that it's the former that we can like make something after the after mm. like the collapse um i hope so i don't want to like be a downer you know but that is what human do human make thing you know it's not always good but human always make thing and we'll make other things. I, I, I don't think that the human creative spirit uh, can be crushed by capital. I don't think it's, it's possible. It'll come up somewhere else. It always has. That is, that is the hope. Yeah. 
I know I come across as very sort of despairing sometimes, but I do have that hope. You've got to. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah. why why get up in the morning? That's it. We wouldn't all still be here, yeah. you know. Oh, absolutely. We're, we're pushing for, for the art we love to be better because somewhere we believe that that can happen. Yeah, I wouldn't waste my time if I didn't think it was possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, on that lovely note, well, on that we've we done, we done, done one. Conrad is absolutely right when he says human do. And Laurie, you am a human and you am do thing. I am human and I am yeah. do thing. You want to know about it? You know what? I think I've already, yeah? I think I do, yeah. Yeah, oh, well, that's, well, that's good because I'm going to tell you about Ooh. it. Or at least the stuff I can tell you about. Uh, you can find me at Laura K Buzz on all of the social media places you're going to find me. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Blue Sky, Mastodon, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. As little as a dollar a month over there really helps. Um, you can find an episode of Access Ability going up on YouTube this Friday that is about Nintendo's new community guidelines around tournaments and the ways that that is going to... Uh, impact the ability for tournament organisers to be able to support disabled players. Uh, That'll be up end of this week. Um, Stories of Autistic Joy, it's out now. It's an anthology of positive, real-world stories from autistic people. Go give that a read. End of this month, the 28th of November, the Gender Euphoria audiobook will be out, uh, wherever you happen to find audiobooks. That is, I think it clocks in, I've seen the the, the runtime now is uh, over eight hours of me reading happy, positive stories from trans, non-binary, intersex people, uh, many of which are my own stories, others from other people. That that's end of this month. Look out! Look out for that. Just Laura K. Buzz. You'll find you'll you'll find out eventually about all the things I'm up to. They'll all show up there. What about you, Conrad? Oh, you could find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Instagram and Blue Sky. You can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman, where I paint models and play games and might do some some reading of stories soon, because that's always fun. So, yeah, mm. come by, check that out. Uh, you can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at mercenarycreative.com. And everything that I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? It's James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, shit. Oh, fucking hell. Uh, Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. That is the Patreon um, for this show and the Jimquisition video series and the reviews that are on the Jimquisition.com. trying to think if there's anything else i've got to report at the moment um i have had people ask about it i do intend to return to live streaming at some point it's just been um very difficult uh just a lot of executive dysfunction issues at the moment um my next wrestling date is in leeds that's november 25th uh that will be true grit wrestling uh i will be in a pretty cool match there um so i'm really looking forward to that so leeds november 25th true grit wrestling um other than that I think uh, all that's left to be said is thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show, as always. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.